We decided here that for the next couple months here, we're going to focus and kind of walk thoroughly through the implications of what it means to belong, to believe in God, his word, uh, how our faith can be a belief that actually transforms this world that we live in. And we talked about last week on Easter Sunday there how we were going to start a new series here that we're starting today called Help Me Believe. And so we want to tackle some hurdles that might be for those of us who are maybe coming to faith for the first time, those of us who have been uh, faithful to Christ for a number of years, or to strengthen us, to be equipped to help others who might have some hurdles in their faith. And so today we're going to start off here and we're going to be talking about help me believe. So if you could pray with me. Father, we pray right now knowing that you are good. We thank you that the tomb is still empty. And God, we know that you have a, a lesson here for us today that will strengthen us in our relationship with you and equip us to be able to share your word with others. We pray that you will guide this time in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So we are going to be talking about the resurrection. And so we talked about the resurrection last Easter Sunday, but I believe this is actually the best and first place we should start. As we tackle things that might hinder or be a hurdle for our faith, the best and first place to start off with the resurrection, because if we can be solid on the resurrection, everything else can really come easily. Because the foundation of our faith is an event. It is the resurrection of Jesus. You can remove a lot of things from the Christian faith, but if you remove the resurrection, you have no Christian faith. And so it is the foundation for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus. And so we're going to look here, and, and this, is, this is something here. It's not a traditional sermon. And so this is not necessarily a message from God's word. This is more equipping. Uh, this is more of a lesson to kind of teach and equip. And there's the struggle for me. I usually have done this. I usually do this in six parts. And we're going to accomplish this in the next 28 minutes. We're going to attempt to accomplish this in the next 28 minutes, okay? And so let's go ahead and let's get into it. So sometimes I talk fast, and I apologize now if I talk too fast, John Orr, all right? And so let's go ahead and let's do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this guy named Paul, he writes a letter to this church in Corinth. Paul actually didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He actually was so anti-Jesus that he was trying to imprison and stop the word of Christ being spread to others. Then he ends up seeing the resurrected Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes a leader in Jesus' church, and then dies for his faith in Jesus and him being resurrected. That alone is a testimony to the resurrection. But we come here in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For what I have received, I have passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one to, as all, to one abnormally, uh, abnormally born. What do we see here that Paul says about the resurrection? He says it's a fact. He says, guys, this is a fact. This is a first importance. We have to remember, 
Jesus died and he rose again. So for the first century Christians, this wasn't something that was so far removed or was like, I have to trust that this was a historical fact that he was reminding them of. And again, if we're going to tackle these things that might hinder our faith, let's go to the foundation of our faith. You guys get me? And so here's what we're going to do. You guys ever seen that show CSI? Some of you had, I don't know if it's still on. There's like 30 versions of it, right? Like CSI Orange County, CSI Tallahoga, or you know what I'm saying? Whatever, right? And so the CSI was, I think it's crime scene investigation, right? That's what it was. Okay, thank you. You're, I'm just going to look for you for that confirmation. All right. So CSI, and so what happens is CSI agents, they come to the scene and they go, okay, here's the evidence. And so now they can determine and come to a logical explanation of what happened. What was the crime? So we're not going to be crime scene investigation agents today, but we're going to go ahead and be cross scene investigation agents today. All right, so we're all going to go back again. We've been staying a long time in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, so we're returning there, and we're going to put on our CSI badges and, and helmets, all right? And so we're going to use logic and reasoning. We're not going to use something that's far-fetched. We're going to use some good old-fashioned logic and reasoning based on the evidence that we have and see where it leads us. Are you with me? Amen. All right. So here we go. So you probably want to take some notes as we do this because this is some really, really cool stuff that we're going to go over. And so to start off here, we have to understand here the claim of the resurrection. There's two possibilities. There's a an occupied tomb, meaning Jesus' body is still in there and he didn't raise on the third day, or the tomb is empty. And we talked about last week, the tomb is still empty, but again, we're CSI agents, right? And so we're going to see the different possibilities of this claim of the resurrection. Now, we'll come back to this many times, so you can, you can, you'll get some good pictures. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and let's move forward here. Now, the first thing that we want to go over is this occupied tomb, that Jesus' body is in the grave. And so there's a theory out here that a Harvard professor, yes, Harvard, <laughs> this professor came up with this thing. He said, you know what? They got it all wrong. They went to the wrong tomb. So that's why they thought he resurrected. So again, yeah, I guess that would make some sense, but we can already probably see some problems with that, right? Salsa's looking at me like, huh? Okay, all right. So let's go ahead and let's look at this here. Now, again, we have what we call the Gospels. These are four pretty much biographies. And these are eyewitnesses who are, who are testifying, not really testifying, but just describing Jesus' life and ministry. And so they all talk about the resurrection. So we're going to look at some of these eyewitnesses to help us out. So in Matthew 27, verse 57, it says, As evening approached, this is after Jesus had died. Uh, it says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, this is Jesus' body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in, in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. We jump on down to verse 65. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Okay, again, so this idea here is they went to the wrong tomb. But as you can see, we already have some problems with that theory. 
Let's just use some basic logic. Do you think on Easter Sunday they went to the wrong tomb? I should have made it left at Albuquerque. No, right? We can already do that. But now you think, okay, maybe one or two people might get lost, but not everybody. And here are some things that are very important for us to see. Joseph put the body in the tomb that he owned. Do you think he doesn't know where his tomb is? I don't know what I did with it. I always lose my keys. I lost that tomb. There was a big stone rolled in front of it. And guess what? There's this, this other marker here of a seal, a Roman seal. And there, were Ro and there were guards posted there. So if we didn't know where to go, let's go to the only tomb that has a couple of Roman guards there. Wouldn't make much sense. Again, here's some pictures of some tombs here that are still to this day. Do we really want to use logic to say everyone forgot? Maybe one, maybe two, but not every, especially the guy who bought it. And Mary and the other Mary, they're there, they're watching. Okay, here it is. Okay, so when we come back, they know where to go. There's too many indicators to identify this empty tomb. So we can go ahead and we can say, well, that's, that's nonsense right there. Right? That's not really logical. We can use a lot of illogical thinking to come to this conclusion, but we're not using logic. So, we know that's not right. So now, let's talk about this idea of hallucination. The disciples hallucinated, and they thought they saw a resurrected Jesus. Okay, Th this might be a, a certain possibility. Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember your dreams? Some of you do. You ever have that dream, and you're like, man, that seems so real? I had a dream when I was a kid that, uh, uh, that there was a bald eagle in my backyard. And I'm telling you, man, I thought for years that that day was like, I was like, as a kid, I was like, no, there, mama, there was a bald eagle in our backyard. And I was convinced it was so real. Even to the day, I tell the story to Karina, and she laughs. I'm like, you know what? I think there's a possibility. There was an American bald eagle in my backyard in the city of Fullerton. <laughs> Now, here's the thing with hallucinations that we have to understand. You, times, many times, often, when we might hallucinate, or, it's because we actually are desiring something. So, for instance, if we're walking through the desert, we might hallucinate that we see a puddle or a, 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 a stream of water. Why? Because it's what we desire. We're not going to hallucinate that we saw Knott's Berry Farm. Because we're not thinking of not to pay for it. You guys get what I'm saying here. But let's just go ahead and let's look here at the evidence here. Again, this is so important. You guys, I don't know if you caught it earlier, but Paul says, hey, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's just another way of saying that they passed. How many people saw the resurrected Jesus? That's more than what we have here at the same time. Now, that's a bold claim if you're lying. Because if we have 500 people, you go, well, let me go talk to these 500 people. And then if we can, then they can verify or what? Or they can dispel and say, no, 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 Paul's crazy. That didn't happen. But I'm not going to say, hey, there was over 150, 200 people who saw me walk off stage and get my cell phone during the middle of my sermon unless it really happens. And so we see here this idea of, okay, maybe one or two people can hallucinate. Maybe four or five, but not over 500 hallucinate the same thing. And why would we hallucinate that they saw the risen Jesus? Why would we do that? 
Because again, they weren't expecting for Jesus to rise on the third day. They thought the whole thing was over. They're like, man, our Savior, our hope, he's died, we're sad, we're depressed, we might as well go back to the old way we lived. So there wasn't this expectation to see this risen Jesus. And so would they really all hallucinate the same thing that they weren't hoping for? And so we see here, it doesn't make logical sense that we'd have over 500 hallucinate the same thing at the same time. And then we also have to say, well, still, where's that body? Even if we all hallucinated, all you have to do is go, well, let's go to the body. Here he is. But there's a problem, right? There's no body in the tomb. And so we know this idea of hallucination. It might sound okay on the surface, but if we just break it down, you go, there's too many eyewitnesses. There's too many people testifying. But again, show me the body. But we can't. And so what does that mean then? Well, let's go ahead and cross that off there because we know the body is not in the tomb. So now let's go to there's an empty tomb, but that doesn't automatically mean that he resurrected. So let's talk about the first one, that Jesus' body is in the grave. However, he didn't actually die on the cross. And there's actually, at least on paper, over a billion people on this planet who subscribe to this theory that he didn't die upon the cross. And so it's kind of like, well, no, no, let, let, let's just keep moving forward. I'll, I'll go ahead and get back to that here. And so this theory really begins with two possibilities. The first is that Jesus had a twin who died or someone who looked like him, and he was the one who actually died on the cross. Yeah, that's likely. So all this time he's had a twin brother. Nobody's ever said anything. And wouldn't his own mama be like, hold on, that ain't Jesus. That's Johnny. Johnny, get down from there. Would that make any sense? Or look alike. You'd be like, wait, hold on, no, Jesus, you don't have a scar, right? That, that, this doesn't, we already can see the problems in this. You guys get what I'm saying? But let's go ahead, let's continue in John 19, I mean 13 and verse 32. Church, are you still with me here? The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs, this is Jesus on the cross, of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So we, we can dispel this idea of a lookalike or a twin that somehow got mixed up. And now we go, well, did he die upon the cross? The Roman executioners, they're experts at this execution thing. This isn't, oh, uh, let's, let's try out Johnny today to do this execution. They understood how to do this. They had been doing this. In fact, the Romans had perfected this. And so they, I think, would be pretty safe to say that they would know what they were doing and they could tell if Jesus was dead or not. But even if he was potentially alive, this whole spear to the side that hits his heart, how would he survive that? Now we've reached the logic now of cartoons. Think of Tom and Jerry, Bugs Bunny, right? Uh, the coyote guy. What's his name? Wiley or something like that? Wiley coyote. Wiley coyote, right? Even though it's in the cartoons, they get hit with hammers. They fall off of mountains, 2,000 stories. They get blown up with TNT, right? They get all this stuff, and guess what? They're still alive. 
And so if we think this, then we think, okay, so that must be what happened to Jesus. He's a cartoon figure. Even if he was, then man, that would make us really believe he's the son of God. But we see that this doesn't hold up to the evidence. And we can see here a couple of things. That, that, that he didn't have a twin or a lookalike. And so if he didn't die on the cross, then this is what it means. That Jesus looked like he was dead. He just looked like it. Then it means that the crucifixion didn't kill him. But after that, the spear in the heart didn't kill him. Then he laid in a tomb for a couple of days without food and water. Then he rose, moved this stone from the inside, got past the Roman guards, <laughs> appeared to his disciples, and then lied to them. Guess what, y'all? I resurrected. And then he hid for the rest of his life. Because he's like, man, they, they serious up in here. They tried to kill me. Now, a man who talked about truth is going to go lie about this and then see and hear of his friends and the persecution that they faced? Does that make any logical sense? No. Again, we can make up some things. But again, this goes against his character. This doesn't make sense of what he would do and all the trauma that he suffered. Yes, we could testify even with today's uh, exploration of, the, uh, of crucifixions that Jesus died upon the cross. And so we still have again now, let, let's go ahead, let's, let's cross that off here. We know the tomb is empty. Jesus didn't die, on it. That, that doesn't make any logical sense there. All right, so now let's go ahead, he, he, he died, but yet we have this idea maybe the body was taken out of the tomb. Makes sense. And who would be the first people that we would think? Who are the usual suspects for this? That would be his followers, right? So let's go ahead and let's look at this, that the disciples stole Jesus's body. And so now let's go on over to Matthew 28 and verse 11. It says, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What do we see there? This idea of a stolen body, that's, that's as old as almost the resurrection. This is not a new story. This is the same old story that happened right days after Jesus' uh, resurrection to today. So let's break this down. Does this weigh against the evidence? Does it make sense? And so if the disciples stole the body, then that means a couple of things here. That means that they stole it while the soldiers were sleeping. So we had fishermen that became ninjas. I mean, these are some smooth criminals. You know what I'm saying? Man, they were asleep. I was able to dodge them, root, move this thing. I'm, or they got some heavy sleepers over there in, in Jerusalem at that time. So they either did that or they went and they beat up these Roman soldiers. They went from being followers of Jesus to now the Avengers. <laughs> Thor and the rest of them came through and started knocking dudes out. You know what I'm saying? And the Roman soldiers said, okay, I'll take a couple of dollars and, and, and face that embarrassment. Doesn't make much sense, does it? But then also here's something that's really powerful is that the, that means the disciples stole the body and then they lied to everyone about it. They lied. But here's the incredible thing. After this resurrection, they went from being scared to courageous. We'll look at it here. They admit to themselves, these are the apostles admitting 
to everybody who's going to read this, hey, we were afraid before the resurrection. Look what it says here. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together while the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Why are they afraid? Hey, they just killed our leader. We were with them. They know we were with them. The same fate could be for us. So they're afraid. They're locked up. Then it says here, though, after the resurrection, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Did you catch that? They went from cowards to commandos. Because of the resurrection, they were locked in fear. Man, I'm afraid. Oh, no, what can happen to us? They see the risen Lord. They're standing in front of the same people who just had Jesus crucified. And they said, it's better for us to obey God than obey you. We're going to tell everybody what we've seen and heard. Do to us what you want. But weeks before that, they're, they're locked up. What could have transformed them? What could have created such boldness and faith? It was the thing that they said what? That they saw and that they heard. And here's the thing. Would the disciples therefore die for a lie? Would they die for a lie? All the apostles, except for John the Baptist, they all were killed for their faith in the resurrection. That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. They died for their faith in John. He, he, they tried to kill him. He was boiled alive, but he somehow survived. And so you go, would all of these guys die for a lie? Let me ask you this. Would you die for a lie? If you told somebody your name was something else, if Ben said, you know what, my name isn't Ben, it, 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 it's Hector. And then we put a gun up to his head and said, Ben, you better tell us your name. What's your real name? He said, I'm going to die saying I'm Hector. <laughs> Andrew would pop up and push him. Pop, what's wrong with you? You crazy? Now, you might have one or two people might die for a lie. But you're not going to get all these men to die for a lie. So again, the evidence doesn't point us to them lying because it led to their death in, in their faith, because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus. So let's go ahead. They're the biggest culprits there. So let's cross them out. So let's get to some others. We'll, we'll quickly go through these because I believe these fall under, under the uh, uh, realm of not so much a logic. But somebody else stole the body of Jesus. Well, let's look at who some of the culprits could be. The Romans. Well, they have no motivation to do this. It goes against their belief system, their religious system, and they don't want a revolution to start. So they're not going to steal the body. In fact, they're going to supply the body to quench and quench this, this idea of a resurrected Jesus. You guys get what I'm saying here, right? It goes against what they got going on. Then we have a gardener. What's his motivation? Just thrills? What was he going to do? He's obviously not a follower of Jesus because he, he wouldn't have done that. He's obviously not against. It doesn't make any sense. And here's the thing. Why not come clean? He can maybe make some money. He can maybe make a name for himself. Uh, and then how did he get with the, past the guards? Did he have a shovel? Y'all better back up. What did he do? Uh, again, we're getting illogical, aren't we? All right, so let's go. So maybe there are some grave robbers. Okay, well, why steal Jesus? 
Wouldn't you have brought the body out? If you're a grave robber, right? You rob graves, you're doing this to make some money. So you produce this, oh man, these guys, they're, they're, they're phony. They, they think he resurrected. Let me show you the body, here he is. Let me get some money for this. It doesn't make any sense. We know it couldn't have been some grave robbers. Well, maybe it was the Jews who didn't follow him. Well, we go, they were the biggest haters of Jesus and Christianity. They were trying to stop this message of Jesus from spreading. So again, that's, they're complete opposites of those who would want to produce and fabricate this story of a resurrected Jesus. So then let's get to aliens. Now, I don't know if you believe in aliens or not. That's totally fine. But why Jesus? Why no one else? Why do we want to steal Jesus? They're just sitting back going, I like that one. Maybe we could create this religion out of this. That doesn't make any sense, right? And then are they still stealing bodies? Are aliens still doing this? Did they do this to Julius Caesar, RFK? Like, are, what, what's going on? See, again, we've left the realm of logic, haven't we? So now let's get to maybe some worms or something. They ate this grown man in only two days. These are worms on steroids. Again, what are we talking about here? We've now, we've now left this realm of logic and reason. Let's go back to logic and reason here. What do we see here? We see all those aren't an option there. We see the only option truly is that Jesus resurrected. That he truly is the son of God. And this is the logical, as we can see, the logical explanation of what God did about 2,000 years ago. And in fact, I would argue it takes more faith to believe not in the resurrection than it does to believe in the resurrection. You guys get what I'm saying? I'd have to believe one of these things took place. Jews stole it, aliens, he didn't, that takes more faith than believing that an all-powerful God had his son raised on the third day. And so we see here, it's remarkable, but it's the only logical conclusion from the almighty God. And so what does this mean for you and me today? I believe it can help some of us who might have doubts. There are these hurdles in our faith, and maybe we're choosing, I don't know if I can trust this and all that, but we can see here, this can help us. As we get to the core and the foundation of this whole thing called Christianity, it can help us with our doubts so that we can pursue a relationship with God. We can at least look into this whole idea of what it means to be a follower of him. And for others of us, I believe it can help us when we have times of doubt. When there's doubt and, and demonic forces are trying to convince us, the world is trying to convince us to not trust in God the way we are called to. This can help us in those times. It can also equip us to be able to effectively help people come to faith in Jesus, the Son of God. But I believe for all of us, it can help us to tackle other things that can hinder our faith. Because again, if we can get this one, if we can get this biggest one, this biggest hurdle, if we can get over that, then all the other ones, they're a piece of cake. And we can work through these things and we can say, yes, help me with my belief, but we can come to solid rock conviction. And so I want to encourage all of us here, especially the members, obviously, but those visiting, those online, continue to join us as we continue in this series of Help Me Believe, because we're going to look more into some things here and have a solid rock 
foundation of Jesus being the son of God and what that means for our lives. Let's close out here in John chapter 20. Church, are you still with me here? A week later, this is after Jesus had already resurrected and appeared to his disciples. We looked at this last week. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen.